Queen City Nerves News Hounds is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Listen to your city at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. And welcome back to Queen City Nerves News Hounds podcast. Last week, you might have caught our episode with new District 1 City Council Rep-elect. And today, we have newly elected District 5 City Council Rep, Marjorie Molina. Marjorie, what's going on? How y'all doing? I really appreciate you uh, joining us. I had thought about maybe bringing you guys on together, but this is I, I really like this sort of platform better, where we can just sort of have a one-on-one talk. Us city council nerds and reporters are going to spend a lot of time <laughs> with you guys in virtual and otherwise meetings in the, in the coming year. So I love to just have a chance to hear your message and hear what it is that got you to this point. I think we'll start with just sort of, for those who don't know, Marjorie was running as in the Democratic primary last week. It finished. I mean, early voting has been going on, but we'll run unopposed in the general election that's coming up in July. So, so you and Dante were the two first newly elected people onto city council. I mean, what's that, the cliche question that you can sort of take any which way, but what's that like for you? I mean, what's the last week been like letting that settle in as a reality? The primary word that comes to mind is thankful. I'm extremely grateful for the opportunity to serve the people of District 5. I've lived in Charlotte for 20 years. Mm -hmm. So my children were born here. Uh, So much of the greatest things of my life have occurred during my time here. So I feel like this is the perfect opportunity to kind of synthesize my experiences and use that to be a person who can give back to those who are on the same journey. Well, tell me a little bit about your own journey and just sort of how you got to this point. You said you've lived in Charlotte for 20 years. Almost. I'm trying to think, what is my number? I was 95, so I've been here about 25. So you was around, oh, obviously, it was around the... 2000s, early aughts that you moved here. 2004. What brought you here? Well, when I first moved here, uh, moved here initially, I came for a job. Mm -hmm. I worked for City Financial at the time, 23 years old. So I'm, you know, a young person. New blood out of college, just looking for a job. And I initially moved to Southwest Charlotte. So I lived in the Seal Creek area. And, you know, I, I worked actually still in Charlotte, but then the company actually built an office in Fort Mill. So I, you know, it was an easy transition once we made, you know, the complete and full transition to Fort Mill. I just drove to Fort Mill every day. I did that all the way up until like 2010. It it really wasn't until I came out of that line of work. I'd volunteered in the community and done things, but I'd say my service to the community where it was constant and regular began after that. Mm -hmm. So after 2010, you know, I, I started to do, you know, purposeful work in the community. I, you know, I started volunteering on political campaigns. Mm-hmm. And I was already living in East Charlotte by then, too. Right. So I'd, I'd moved from South Charlotte to East Charlotte. And I, you know, started volunteering and I started a grassroots radio show. Oh, right. Uh, it, yeah. You just mentioned that yeah. when we sat down. Yeah. What was that called? It was called the Diversity mm-hmm. Experience. Mm-hmm. What I saw at that point as my way to give back, especially living in East Charlotte, we're this very, you know, racially, culturally, ethnically diverse community. It was one of the things that attracted me to the East Side. Mm-hmm. Because I was in an interracial marriage and I was raising, you know, multi-ethnic, multicultural, multiracial children mm-hmm. at the time. 
And I, yo soy una, una afroamericana, pero yo hablo en español. Entonces, mm -hmm. eso es otra cosa. I speak and read and write in Spanish as a second language as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I was just kind of synthesizing my experience and finding the most unique opportunities that I could to meet leaders in our community. So I, I'm no stranger to the leaders in our community. I've, right. I've had plenty of them on my radio show. I've volunteered on campaigns, local, national. You did a, I don't know what you call it, a semester. Or you did a year with Leadership Charlotte. I right? did. I That's did. That's how you were in a cohort with my girlfriend, I Christine. I was. Full Christine. disclosure. Awesome. <laughs> She's awesome. She was very excited about your win. She doesn't live in District 5, so couldn't vote, but she was very excited. Oh, yeah. to hear about it. And I've heard good things looking at that race from her about you. But how did that sort of play in? Because I know that that's one of those things that it's not behind the scenes, but it's just one of those things where once you have an in to it, like I do, mm -hmm. since I started dating Christine, then yeah. you start to like meet people and realize, oh, this person's LC, this person's LC. Oh, yeah. It's such a, a wide range of folks who play leadership roles in Charlotte. Absolutely. Throughout the community. I, mm -hmm. I still meet people. Mm -hmm who are, you know, a part of a previous cohort. And I'm like, wow. Mm -hmm. Like, there are some serious wild people right. who have gone through that. And it's actually, as Christina probably told you, it's a two-year experience. Mm -hmm. So, uh, right, yeah. yeah, our first year, we learned together, leaders, like you said, from mm -hmm. across the community. And then the second year, we actually work on what are the days of learning for the the concurrent cohort. Mm -hmm. And so even, even meeting your girlfriend. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I walked in that room, although I'd done a lot, I was amongst people who I was in complete awe of. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, right. you know, partners at a firm and, yeah. you know, you're looking like, God, well, I just did, you know. Mm -hmm. But by the time you end that experience, you're family. Yeah, absolutely. I, I tell, I can feel that from the outside. Yeah, yeah. So just when did it sort of start to sink in with you that like the next step here after community service or, you know, serving the community with the, you know, you've worked with the Y, you've done all sorts of different I things. I love the YMCA. Um, when did you sort of decide that maybe elected office was the next step from there? Well, so in 2017, so in so full disclosure, I've done a lot of political volunteering mm -hmm. uh, before then. And in 2016, I managed what you call a staging location. So I was a community organizer for the 2016 campaign. Okay. So salaried for... The presidential presidential okay. campaign. So we had a coordinated campaign, which was Hillary for America, the DNC, and the North Carolina Democratic Party. Mm -hmm. So I worked for them organizing at the presidential campaign level, but we worked to elect Democrats throughout the ticket. So what is now Yafo Chicken and mm -hmm. Snooze on Central Avenue? Oh, yeah. That used to be a Jackson Hewitt tax office. Oh, right. That was and my staging location. That was oh, my okay. headquarters. That was my <laughs> staging location. And it, it's wild when I drive that's by. Only, well, I guess six years now. Jeez, yeah. That's and crazy it's to think that, that was six years ago. Yeah, yeah so much. And so I, I finished that work in November of 2016. And of course, it was for me at the time very devastating. It was devastating. Mm -hmm. And then um, in 2017, someone who I consider to be a political mentor, one of many, but, he, I, you know, someone who I respect, John Autry was the council member for our community at that time. And he was elected to the North Carolina House mm -hmm. of Representatives. And so his seat was open in 2017. And I, I threw my name in the hat kind of after you know, being, you know, a community organizer. And that was a huge time for women candidates. It was. All, all across the board. It was. Mm -hmm. It really was. And at the time, the 
the council was able to choose a person to fill that appointment. And they chose Dimple Ashmira, who is right. now one of our at-large members. So this, I've never run a campaign where I ran and sought the vote of the people of District 5, mm-hmm. but I was one of the people that was considered for appointment. Shortlisted sort of for that Yeah, just that to time. fill that mm-hmm. time. And did you run or put your hat in the ring, I guess would be the way to put it, for Greg Phipps? Or not, the, the seat that Greg Phipps ended no. up selling? Okay. No, 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 yeah, no, I was... By that time, I I'd pivoted to trying to find good work. Mm-hmm, right. <laughs> yeah, I was like, um, well, I need to be paid too. Mm-hmm. So I. What convinced you this year to say I'm campaigning? I'm going all the way in. I, you know what? I wasn't sure until the day I decided. Mm-hmm. Running for elected office is a it's a it's a serious commitment. Right, huge commitment and not enough pay. Oh in my, yeah, in my no, opinion, and no pay. You right. know, I, I remember even you know it was almost disheartening. I remember I was at a forum and there was someone telling me they were like, well, this is a, you know, full time, part time position. And how are you going to move your responsibilities to the side so that you can serve the people? Mm -hmm. You know, we know that some of you work and some of you are a mother. And I'm thinking to myself, like, wow, like that's it it is. It's how it is. It's full time with part time. pay. It is. It's full time, Mm -hmm. part time pay. A lot of us do have families. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to, I'm, I'm a mother of two and I'm a single mother. Mm-hmm. Well, know? let me put you on the hot seat right away then because our okay. first actual policy question then, because it brought up, it's been brought up multiple times this year. And there are folks like Ed Driggs and Tarek Bakari, surprise, surprise, who will say, you know, this is just supposed to be your sacrifice. Yeah. And, you know, they're well off enough to say that. Right. But there's, you know, I do feel like it's a, and I'm not trying to lead you one way or another, but just me personally, I feel like, you know, it's one of those things where it puts people off from running if they can't financially support themselves. You will lose people. Yeah. You, I'm you, sure listen, that we've lost countless You have people. lost people mm-hmm. because that's when you sit at that question mm-hmm. and you ask yourself, how are you going to move aside the most important people in your life mm-hmm. so that you can serve your community? That's a big ask. Right. You know? So, yeah, I can Is guarantee a conversation that you're looking to to have in terms of, you know, it, it comes with other things like staggered four-year terms, stuff like that. Right. But is it something that you've paid attention to in terms of pursuing that conversation around pay raises? Because, you know, they obviously paint it as some sort of, oh, council wants to give pay raises to themselves. But I think it's more of an accessibility thing. Right. Well, I, I even read recently, probably within the last week, mm-hmm. there was someone who wrote a column like decimating the additional 4% mm-hmm. that's offered to the people who serve on council. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, like, wow, right. like, do we Oh, yeah, have- you're right. Okay. So the, I am misspeaking because it is part of the proposed budget. Right, already. right. There's so an it's not addi- you'll be Yeah. There, so there's an additional 4% mm-hmm. in the current $3.2 billion proposed budget, which I'll have no input in by right. the time that I even take office for 2023. Mm-hmm. You know, so we're actually, you know, seeking more in the budget, in the proposed budget, so that we can pay the city employees more, mm-hmm. which they absolutely right. deserve as well, yeah. right? But like you're saying, and and I absolutely agree, it's a big ask mm-hmm. to ask someone who's well called, you know, well qualified, mm-hmm. who could otherwise go out and seek a very good job, a, a, a great position. Right. I, I just earned my master's degree, you know. Congrats. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And so I, I actually, when I started that journey, I had a totally different idea in mind. And that was from UNC Charlotte, right? UNC Charlotte, mm-hmm. yep. I'm a grad as well. Oh, Niners. Oh, yes. Go Niners. Um, 
So let's dig into the district a little bit and just okay. sort of the, some of the things. I mean, we'll start with the story that all the eyes are on, which is Eastland. And, you know, it's sort of a, I don't know if funny is the word, but it's ironic the way that things have changed since the John Autry days, which shout out to John Autry. He's been a guest on the show and I've known him since I started in his career and he was the District 5 rep. In those days, in, in most of Matt Newton's tenure, it was... When are we going to get something here? When right. is something going to be put here? Why is it being left empty? And, and and it was sort of pressure building up, pressure building up. Now we've gotten to the point where something is promised there. And I think that this is sort of where, the again, speaking for myself, this is sort of, in my eyes, where the real work begins, which right. is that Charlotte's richest man is leading this development in David Tepper. And the important part is to make sure that in... Charlotte's most diverse district, especially in terms of like ethnicities and local small small businesses, immigrant-owned businesses, that these people are included. Now, what question that leads to other than like, you know, how optimistic are you going into this that that's going to be a priority? And how do you sort of shift focus into making sure that it remains one? There's a level of enthusiasm that I have to acknowledge first, mm -hmm. seeing that we do have infrastructure coming to our long forgotten side of town. Right. I'm happy every time that I see someone willing to come and invest in our community because we want it and we need it. We just need it where it, you know, is 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 something that is beneficial to our residents. And and I'm sure that's what every person in our community wants mm -hmm. when they have infrastructure potentially being built in their in their area, but the east side in particular, I'm optimistic in that you know, if David Tepper, I, I don't know him, I've never met him, but I'm sure if he is a man of diligence like he seems to be, then I'm sure he understands what's at stake. And I hope that that conversation is easy to have with him and his team about the benefits, the potential benefits to the residents in our community who have long awaited seeing something come to that that you know, that area. So that's my hope, mm -hmm. you know, having not been a part of, of an, a, you know, essential stakeholder in, in how this infrastructure project has taken place. I'm really coming in as a stakeholder who will add to what's already on the table. But my hope is that that's something that, you know, a man of such acumen is already well aware of Mm -hmm. And that those conversations are much easier to have as an, you know, as a result. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, like just we've had um, Manolo on here from Manolo's Bakery. I've met and Manolo. we were talking about, um, he, you know, he didn't seem that optimistic as a longtime business owner there that he will, his and his community's voices will be included. Is that something that you see your role as, as a city council rep is to sort of act as that connector? Because a lot of those people feel out of touch from that. You sort of can play that bridging role. Absolutely. I feel like. Absolutely. So consider the proximity of Eastland to Central Avenue. If right. you drive down Central Avenue and the majority of the businesses that are there are all Spanish speaking community members mm -hmm. who have began businesses and are small business owners. So inevitably, you know, those voices are amplified, mm -hmm. right? The what and, and soccer, let's consider what soccer yes, is. Exactly. What and, it means to Right, what it means mm -hmm. to that community. So inevitably, you're you're still talking about a man who it, it sounds to me, mm -hmm. you know, even considering the location, the proximity to Spanish speaking community members will is willing to take into consideration the fact that 
East Charlotte is, and, and our Spanish-speaking community is the largest ethnic, you know, representation on that side of town. Right. Right? So, you know, it, I could have chosen to go to West Charlotte. I could have chosen to go to Southeast for West Charlotte. You understand? Mm-hmm. So in my mind, like I said, the only assumption that I have to make at this point is that he has, along with his team, considered that. Yeah. I don't want to sound like I'm already uh, writing him off. I think he's already done great things with soccer pitches. I forget the name of the, the initiative, but he's building pitches throughout East Charlotte and other places that he thinks he needs it. And I'm also optimistic, you know, just about, like you said, the popularity of soccer oh, yeah. in these communities, as you know better than I, just the fact that that also serves as a, a natural bridge Absolutely. to like, you know, this is a, a community building thing as opposed to if it was just a, a Panthers practice Absolutely. facility. Think mm-hmm. about that because the average American person is going to really have a, an affinity towards American football, mm-hmm. right? So had that been an American football facility, like you're saying, it would be a totally different reception. Mm-hmm. But the fact that it's soccer and we have an international community on the east side, mm-hmm. that's saying we want to be in the center of where this will be the most widely accepted. In my opinion, right. you know, from a person who's now going to be a stakeholder, uh, an important voice, I'd like to believe that that is the premise behind, you know, the choice mm-hmm. in location. And how much do you think it helps? It might sound like a softball question, but it's it's something that you can't help but notice after as much as I think John Autry is great and Matt Newton had have zero problem with it. But to follow up on two white guys separate, <laughs> representing <laughs> District 5 in this diverse district to come in as an Afro-Latino woman who speaks fluent Spanish. I mean, how much does that help you in being able to help with those concerns? I think it's going to definitely, if if I'm allowed, mm-hmm. right? Because there there is a barrier in just in, government engagement in yeah, general. Absolutely. Right. You know, because uh, uh my my ex-husband, because full disclosure, I, I was married, I'm divorced. Mm-hmm. We were together for 14 years, but I married an undocumented mm-hmm. immigrant. So my reality has been much different than even some people who were born in America. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people who are in the undocumented community in particular, who are stakeholders in that community as well, but you don't see their voices as elevated as some of the people like Manolo mm-hmm. and other people who have that safety. And and he is a he's an important catalyst right. because you find him very often lifting those voices as he lifts his own concerns as well. And so but a lot of the important stakeholders aren't at the table when it comes to even the consideration of who are residents in the East Charlotte community. So I'm aware of both sides right. of that in, in a very particular way. And I feel like, you know, where I'm able to, I, I would like to lend a voice. I, of course, you know, it wouldn't be in the same way as as some of you know, the other stakeholders, but, mm-hmm. you know, where I'm able to, I absolutely intend to, right. you know, inject and mm-hmm. and be that voice. And sort of on the other side of that uh, Eastland development, I paid a little bit of attention. I've attended a couple of meetings of the Albemarle Road. It's a corridor of opportunity, and mm-hmm. they've started to build the playbook up. I don't know the exact process. I've attended a couple of the virtual meetings where they're talking about 
creating this playbook for Albemarle Road because I think it's next up after Beatty's Ford and whichever the other corridor was that was. We have two in East Charlotte. Two. What's the second? So the second one is our Far East community. Okay. Uh, so we out Hood Road. Okay. A lot of our Far East communities, they're being developed. Well, that's what I wanted to talk about. Oh, I absolutely. I want to get to that yeah. for sure. So, there are one, so out of the six, we have six total. Mm-hmm you know, corridors of opportunity in the city of Charlotte, two of those six are actually in East Charlotte. Mm -hmm. We have the Eastland Mall community Mm -hmm. and, you know, development. And then we have the Far East Mm -hmm. community that severely lacks infrastructure. I'm talking about basic infrastructure where those things are highly important, streetlights, sidewalks, like, Mm -hmm. you know, so as we continue to develop out, you know, those areas, then we have to consider some of the basic needs. We're not even talking about, you know, beyond just... Well, yeah, let's talk about that because you bring it up. And I wanted to mention that. I don't think I realized it was scheduled to be a corridors of opportunity because, you know, they're doing the phase, phase one and two and three, Mm -hmm. I think, with two at a time. Just without even that, it's one of those things where Matt Newton was one of the people who was very reluctant. And I think I don't even think he voted for adoption of the UDO mm-hmm. in terms of or the comprehensive plan. Has I don't think the final vote's coming on UDO yet. But he's just one of the people who has voiced a lot of concern about some of the issues around single family zoning and things. Right. And people take it to be the same as someone in a suburban district like District 6 or 7 because they just don't. They don't want more density housing. But I think Matt Newton, what he was trying to express a lot of times in meetings was the of what you just said, is that there's there's land out there that hasn't been developed and isn't ready for even Absolutely. a single family house. Yeah, yet. not ready for anything right. yet. Like <laughs> So how do you sort of approach that in terms of balancing the the city's need for high density housing, but letting people know, like, listen, my district has pieces of it over there and off of Hood Road and things like that. Or even like in the J.H. Gunn community. J.H. Gunn, absolutely. Yeah, you don't even have to go that far. Right. Yeah, Harrisburg no, no, Road. I mean, you know. Um, and there's places where it's just open land and there's no infrastructure, absolutely. like you said. How do you sort of go about raising that awareness for the fact that, like, before we can start in on anything over here, we need to make sure there's the roads are ready for people, for instance. One the, of many things. Yeah, no, the hardest thing that I believe there is to represent an entire district mm-hmm. of communities, you know, think about District 5. Mm-hmm. We are 28 precincts strong, right? Right, Where we have a diversity, an economic diversity, not even racial, but an economic diversity that is immense, right? right? And so how do you as one voice represent all of those, mm-hmm. right? You got people who are fond of the infrastructure, who would like to have that infrastructure come. And then you have the people who are part of our Far East communities, you know, precinct 201, 203, 205. Mm -hmm. Those are the composition of our Far East communities of the 28. We even had two that we brought in from District 1, precincts 5 and 45. Yeah, for the, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and and those are going to, they're going to want something totally different because right now they're kind of the foothill Mm -hmm. of the construction that's happening in District 1 because we meet District 1. Mm -hmm. District 5 and District 1 meet, Mm -hmm. but where we meet, it's almost like the infrastructure cuts off. It's right. like no one's coming over. where are those precincts that came in? Because everyone knew about the Hidden Valley moving from District 4 to 1. Yeah. Which ones came? You said ones came from 1 into 5? Yeah, we okay, had Which two. ones were those? At? Those are, um, so we had precincts 5 and mm-hmm. 45. We even have a split community where 
you know, some of it is one and some of it is five, Mm -hmm. you know. So we have people (laughs) who aren't even sure where they are yet Mm -hmm. because of the redrawing of the maps and things like that. So with that being said, I said all of that to say that it's it's a delicate dance Mm -hmm. in, in a place like District 5 because we have this, you know, complete, it's almost divergent in ways, right? Mm -hmm. Where you have, you know, uh, locations that are closer to densely populated areas that, you know, within a small drive have, you know, they're they're right there on Central. You have markets and food and everything, Mm -hmm. you know, and then you go all the way down Albemarle Road and we don't even have street lights. (laughs) Right, right. But it's still a part of our district. Mm -hmm. And so how do I represent that voice? Right. When I am making a decision to vote yes or no, it's it's so simplistic to just be able to say yes or no. And that was a big part of our conversation last week with Dante, because there's so many different Noda has different needs than Belmont and has different needs than Hidden Valley and has Uptown. But you're and you even have a different look at it because there's suburban neighborhoods and there's mixed use neighborhoods and then there's. The more rural, I definitely can call it rural. Absolutely out there, far rural. East. Oh yeah. yeah. So you know how how do you how do you with just yes or no? Mm-hmm. You know. Oh, absolutely. It's, yeah. it's going to be one of those things where you know taking a look at the highest order mm-hmm. of needs at the time based on what we're looking at. The the one thing that I'm aware of because again you already know I'm not going to be a part of you know adopting mm-hmm. that. That plan, it will absolutely have taken place before I even take office. Mm -hmm. So my job is then going to be to make sure that I'm adept at it, you know, that I'm adept at what's actually there and what types of incremental changes that I can make while I serve on council. Mm -hmm. So so that we can, you know, deal with those completely divergent needs of our community. And what sort of role do you hope to play in in sort of, obviously, this was, well, I guess it's still being developed, the playbook on Albemarle Road, but it's just sort of like, there's so many concerns around corridors of opportunity that you're just sort of bringing in more gentrification if all you're doing is incentivizing development or this and that. Uh, I was watching some of the playbook meetings and they were talking about, I think the number one thing I heard from residents is panhandling. And it's like, Okay, well, you know, just bringing police in to get to swipe off, swipe away panhandlers is not going to fix any problem on the Albemarle right. Road corridor. So, how and do you- we need more police officers. Let's just mm-hmm. start there. Mm-hmm. We're 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 at a deficit in in police officers. We're actually working to attract more officers right. to our area because mm-hmm. we don't even have enough to cover mm-hmm. all that we need to cover. We're not right. even talking about those levels of service members. Like I can take you on another journey with that alone. So here's here's what I feel. I can't do this job alone. Like I, I said, I I'm not jealous of you. Yeah, for yeah. Trying. Like there are 28 precincts of people. In a precinct, you can have thousands of people in one precinct. Mm-hmm. You're talking about a, an area with over 100,000 people. And so with that, I need people who don't just come with grievances. If you have a grievance, come to me with something that you have a thought of a solution, mm-hmm. even if it's not something that we can say that we can do, mm-hmm. but at least allow me to hash out something. I don't have all the answers. I really don't want to have all the answers with that level of difference 
across an entire community. I want to depend on the leaders in our community, the the people who are already making decisions for the communities that they affect to see what's important to them too, because I, I need that help. I need those voices. I need those ideas. I'm not here to be a grievance holder. Right. Grievances will get us no solutions. And a lot of the time, and one of my reluctancies for taking this position is that it seems as though sometimes there's this propensity to just make it a grievance mm-hmm. position where you're just listening to the grievances. Well, you know what? There is a grievance and we all have them, but let's now you see the grievance. Tell me what you think we should do, because I, I can't even satisfy it. Mm-hmm. Right. So you notice in the question, there's the answer, but no one presents the ask with that in mind. So in other words, if I'm going to present a solution, then you have to then have in your mind what you see as a as 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 something that you can accept before I can even present something that what's, you're willing to accept. Right. right. The, what's the end game? What's the end game? Mm-hmm. Get, get, at least put me in the area of what that end game for you looks like and understand that we share a community with very different thoughts of different people with different experiences. So your answer may not be absolute. Maybe I have to combine your answer with the answer of someone else who's leading from the community. And we come together and, and create a solution where both parties can be happy. Right. You know, the, the grievance and the solution should go together. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good end point. Yeah. I think that's, <laughs> that's, a great, that's a great conversation. And I appreciate you coming in. Is there anything we haven't touched on that you think is important to mention? I just, I'm looking for the leaders. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm looking for the people who care the ones who have great ideas, I, I want to hear them. I want to work with you. You know, I want to have them to lift them up so that we can amplify those messages and make East Charlotte better. Well, I appreciate you, Marjorie. Looking forward to seeing the, the new council get started. I believe it's September. It's swearing in, but uh, everything is just so thrown off this year. But I could get some of the dates off. But I appreciate you coming in and chatting with us and All giving right. us uh, some of your insight. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. See you next time. Cheers. QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com.